There is a longing within all of us for freedom, to get out in the open, away from the noise and fears and burdens that hold us captive, to breathe deeply and hear clearly, and to know that we are alive. Created in the image of God, our Creator God wants to meet with us, to bring us into greater freedom, to bring us to places where we can be still and know that He is God. As with all things worthwhile, there's a practice and a rhythm to this meeting. Transformation takes time, it takes effort, it is work, but the most enjoyable type of work. The practices of our spiritual life anchor us and carry us forward. They center us as we navigate the storms of life. When we journey into the great expanse of God's love for us, we are transformed by the rhythms of His grace. Well, good morning, C4. Uh, great to see you, and uh, thank you so much for joining us here on this long weekend. You know, I love that video, and, and I never get tired of it. So again, you know, publicly, Joanna and her team just do such a phenomenal job with the video production around this place, and so thankful for what you and your team do, Joe. It's exceptional work. Well, a warm welcome to all of you and to those of you who are going to be joining a little bit later online. Uh, we're just so glad that you've joined us here. We're continuing on in our series, uh, our summer series, Spiritual Practices, and uh, I get to talk to you this morning about the spiritual practice of service, which is, you know, when you ask most people, what are the kind of the spiritual practices, what are the spiritual disciplines, this one usually doesn't make the list, and so I'm going to have to do a little bit of unpacking uh, today just to help us understand what it is and what it isn't as we walk through this together. I just got home from two weeks vacation. Uh, First week of vacation, I got to spend at home. Uh, you know, on my honeydew list, and, uh, you know, it's in good shape. I got uh, all the, the stuff that I need to get off the honeydew list is off the list so I can breathe for uh, a day or two, and uh, so that's done. And then the second week, <laughs> the second week, Jen and I got to go to my brother-in-law's cottage up just outside of Perry Sound, and I use the word cottage a little bit loosely. It's actually a cabin. Uh, it's a cabin that my brother-in-law bought, uh, you know, hoping to fix it up and, and do all kinds of improvements to it. But it's just, a, it's a fabulous place to go to, you know, just rest and relax. It's got like a, like a million dollar view and uh, Jen and I were up there alone just enjoying ourselves. Uh, the cottage is not on the power grid, <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Uh, we, it has a, a propane stove and a propane fridge. I don't know how that works. Um, how heat makes things cold. But anyways, it it has those two, uh, and it has lake water, an abundance of lake water, and uh, and then it has solar power uh, for all of the rest of the the appliances and everything else that's in in the cottage. And so the solar generator generates 13 amps. I'm looking really smart right now. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, It generates 13 amps, 
And, uh, and I guess that's not very much, apparently, because my brother-in-law says that what you have to do is you have to really manage your power very, very carefully, and especially if you get some cloudy days in there. So, you know, you've got to decide how many lights you're going to have on in the cottage and for how long can you actually afford to have them on. Um, you know, Jen and I had to decide if we were going to watch a movie at night that we would actually just run the TV and the DVD player and then no lights. Incredibly romantic excellent idea. And so that was, that was really good. So this whole fun thing that we went through with power management at the cottage was really kind of fun, really kind of an adventure. It really added to our week there. Well, as we continue in our summer series of spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines this morning, I want to talk about power management. This series comes out of a journey that we've been on as a church, you know, where we've looked a few years ago at spiritual gifts but we're of the, con- the conviction that we also need to practice spiritual disciplines because in spiritual gifts, you know, we find our guaranteed source of power. But when it comes to the spiritual practices, when it comes to walking like Jesus walked, when it comes to doing the things that Jesus did, there we are faced with transformation. And, and we need to understand our gifts. We need to understand the things that we have a guaranteed source of power with, but we need to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We need to continue to grow, to be more like Christ in his character and in his conduct. And spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, are where you and I are changed and we learn to become more like Jesus. So we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus We've been looking at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus in order to find out what are the things that Jesus did when he walked on this earth so that we could become more like him. And we study the life of Christ, of course, because he's the second person of the Trinity. And of course we follow Jesus because he is our Savior and our Lord, the one that we claim to be disciples of. But we've also looked at the life and the teachings of Jesus because we find in him the best example of what it means to practice Spiritual disciplines. To do these spiritual practices, we look to the one who has done them perfectly. We look to the person of Christ. The Bible teaches us really clearly that Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit, making full use of the spiritual gifts, but he connected with his Father through spiritual practices. So if we want to walk like Jesus walked, then we need to do what Jesus did. So today I want to look at the practice, the spiritual practice called service. Now in the trifecta of money, sex, and power, the spiritual discipline or the spiritual practice of service deals with power management. And that's why I want to talk about it today. Now the spiritual discipline of service is not the same as spiritual gifts. And so there's a little bit of confusion there because some of you have the spiritual gift of service or of helps. We're not talking about operating in your sweet spot. We're not talking about operating in your area of passion. You know, doing the things that sort of supernaturally come to you. Where where you know that when you're ministering, when when you're operating right in the sweet spot of your spiritual gifts, that you know you're just hitting a home run over and over again. That's not what we're talking about this morning. The spiritual discipline, the spiritual practice of service is something completely different. Operating in your spiritual gifts builds up the body of Christ and edifies you. When you use your spiritual gifts, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit in your area of giftedness, it's for the building up of all of the other people. And you feel great about it. You feel good about it. 
But it's not the same with the spiritual practice of service. So here's the key. The spiritual practice of service is designed to work out humility in me and in you. The spiritual practice of service is designed to work out humility in us. Power management can only be fully attained through humility. Humility is forged in the fires of unimpressive, no big deal, unnoticed, other-centered, not-my-thing, Jesus-like serving. We don't have to go through life hoping that somehow, you know, humility will suddenly fall from on high on our heads. Humility, the kind of humility that characterized Jesus, is most readily found through the spiritual practice of service. I remember some years ago, a church that Jen and I were attending was involved in a ministry in downtown Hamilton to sex trade workers. And twice a year, the women of our church and the surrounding community used to throw a spa night for the sex trade workers of downtown Hamilton. So they would bring all of these sex trade workers together in a safe environment, in a safe place. And their whole goal behind it was to bless these people who are people who are on the bottom rungs of our society. To tell these sex trade workers and to show them through really practical service that they had tremendous value and that they were made in the image of God and therefore held you know, great esteem in the eyes of these fellow women. Now, my wife Jennifer, by the way, she's in the nursery. She's not in here, which gives me some liberty. <clears throat> <laughs> so my wife Jennifer doesn't like feet like she loves baby feet you know because who doesn't love baby's feet right but she doesn't like feet in general she just she doesn't find feet attractive or she just doesn't like feet at all <laughs> I hear some amens okay so I remember her coming to me at the start of that year that particular year and she said you know she said I really feel like Jesus is asking me to do some things to really stretch, my, to stretch me this year, to put me out of my comfort zone and to do some things, you know, that, that I just don't feel comfortable doing. And I remember when the spa night came around, I said to her, so what, what are you going to do? And she said, well, I'm signing up to go and I'm going to sign up for foot duty. And she did it intentionally because she doesn't like feet. And she felt Jesus was stretching her. So what she did was she was there with many other women, with these sex trade workers, and she buffed and washed and polished and did the nails of people who normally don't get that sort of treatment. And I only use her as an example because that captures for me part of the heart in the spiritual discipline of service. Now, of course, Jesus is our ultimate example and so this morning, I want to look at a passage in the Bible where we can learn some things about the spiritual practice of service from Jesus. So if you have a Bible, turn or navigate to John chapter 13. If you've done church for a while, this is a pretty familiar passage. John chapter 13 is, is an episode with Jesus and his disciples just before Jesus goes to the cross. And it's where Jesus is meeting to celebrate the Passover for the last time with his disciples. And he washes his disciples' feet. Conference speaker and pastor Andy Stanley 
asks this question when he talks about John chapter 13, and I think it's a great question. Andy Stanley says this, what do you do when you realize that you're the most powerful person in the room? It's a great question. Because we all compare, right? Like we all compare. Like when you walk into a room or when you walk into church, like you look around and you see who's here and who's not here. People also look at us. <laughs> some people make grand entrances. Some people get all dressed up so that other people will notice them. So, you know, some people wear the latest and the greatest, you know, some really fine jewelry, a huge watch, the newest cell phone. I, I, don't, care what the, what, I don't care what the thing is. Like, we all participate in that. And I've had the privilege of traveling a little bit, and I found that it doesn't really matter what culture you're in. Whether you're in Africa or India or the UK or Canada, it doesn't matter because people are the same everywhere that you go. We all have you know, different skin colors. We have different nationalities. We have different genders. But people are still comparing one with another. And the reason that we do it, I think, is because we're trying to find out where we fit. Like we want to know who's at the top of the ladder and who's at the bottom of the ladder but we're really, really interested in where do I fit? <laughs> like, where do I stack up against those who are around about me? It's human nature. I think we all do it. So what do you do if you suddenly realize that you're the most popular, the most educated, the wealthiest, the best-looking, the most talented, the most powerful person in the room? Well, the spiritual practice of service holds the key to how you answer that question. So let's look at John chapter 13 and this episode of Jesus and his disciples as we think about the spiritual practice of service. And I, I want to share some of my thoughts coming out of this particular passage. The first thing that I see in John chapter 13 in this episode is this. The spiritual practice of service takes the focus off me. Richard Foster, who has written so much on spiritual discipline, says this, Nothing disciplines the desires of the flesh like service, and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. So in John chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, we read this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. We know really, two really interesting things from these couple of first verses. The first thing we know is that you know, Jesus knew full well, he was fully aware of his circumstances and of the course of his life at this particular time. Jesus was fully cognizant of the fact that the hour had come. It, it was time for Jesus to go to the cross. He was aware of that. He understood that. And, and what I find so fascinating about that is that if you told me that my hour had come or was coming, I know who I'd be focused on. It would be me. Not other people. And I think there's very few of us who could honestly say that if we knew our time had come, that if we knew that when we walked out of this room today, that we would go to face, you know, eternity, that we could say that our exclusive focus would be on other people and not on us. And yet, 
we see here Jesus fully aware of what the next few days are going to hold for him, and yet his focus is not on himself. He chooses to serve those who are his closest friends. You know, so many people in our culture, and it's so difficult in our culture, but so many people in our culture try to spend so much time and energy and money trying to draw attention to themselves. Advertising and the entertainment business are obsessed with self-promotion, but the way of Jesus is to put others first, to think of the needs of others above our own needs. The Apostle Paul, in writing to a great church in Philippi, said this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And and if you know Philippians chapter 2 at all, that passage, he's going to go on in just a couple of verses after that, and he's going to cite Jesus as the ultimate example of someone who put the interests of others before himself. This is the heart of the spiritual practice of service. It's not about ministry where we love to minister, but serving without the spotlight, taking the focus off me and making it about the one being served or the one being ministered to. Like there's a reason these are called spiritual disciplines. They don't come naturally to us. They need effort and they need work. This kind of attitude is not natural. Our flesh screams out to be noticed, to be the center of attention, to be the center of the universe. Now, this may be easier or even more palatable with those we like and those we love, but what about those that we don't like? What about those that honestly are way more difficult to love? Well, then I need to ask myself, how many sets of feet did Jesus wash? Twelve. Verse 2 makes it very clear that Judas was there. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Like, let that sink in for a second. The one who was about to betray his friend, the one who had contracted to turn him over for just 30 pieces of silver, was one of the people that Jesus chose to serve. See, this is how real power is managed. This is, you know, this is how humility is worked out. It's through this kind of service, it's through this spiritual practice of service that is so difficult for you and I, so difficult in our culture, that humility, the grace of humility, is worked out in us. Hey, love you too. <laughs> The next thing that I find helpful from the passage is this. Spiritual pract- the, the spiritual practice of service challenges my ideas of greatness. Years ago when I was pastoring in another church, I got invited to go to India. It was, it was, it was a fabulous time. And I was invited there to see some of the ministries that a particular mission organization was carrying out throughout India. And of particular interest to me was the training and equipping of pastors. A highlight of the trip was being asked to be one of the guests of honor at the graduation of a group of 18 young men who had trained for three years to become pastors in India. Now, the ceremony, typical Indian, was full of pomp and ceremony. And as guests of honor, we were encouraged to speak to the graduates and offer prayers. Often this time, if you've traveled in some of these uh, nations, this stuff happens impromptu. You have no warning 
And so over the hours and hours <laughs> that this thing was conducted, you know, we got to speak and we got to share with some of the graduates, offer prayers for them and encouragement to them as, as we got ready to celebrate their graduation. As I heard about their ministry plans and as I began to interact with many of the graduates, I was completely shocked to find out that most of them expected to be beaten and abused as a result of the ministry they were about to enter into. Some of them fully expected to to be persecuted, and a few of them fully expected to give their lives for the work that they were about to enter. I remember a major shift happening in my thinking that afternoon and that evening as the program went on. We, We weren't the guest of honor. I certainly wasn't some guest of honor. I realized that I was in the presence of true greatness. And when we practice the spiritual discipline of service, it shifts our thinking on what true greatness really looks like. Look at verses 3 and 5, 3 to 5 of chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from the Father and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, in the kingdom of God, this is what true greatness looks like. When we learn to manage power through the grace of humility, we have an opportunity to have great power and true greatness. It's so countercultural. Like even in his day, Jesus was pointing to a new way, a way that almost no one understood at first. Even his closest friends didn't get it. There's this really interesting um, episode that happens. It's not, re- it's not recorded here in John, but it's recorded in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, which is just before this episode of washing the di- disciples' feet, in Matthew chapter 20, two of the disciples, James and John, along with their mummy, come to Jesus and they say, hey, we've been hearing about this great kingdom that you've been talking about, Jesus. And so when you establish your kingdom, because they thought it was going to be a military, uh, a religious, a very powerful, you know, political kingdom, they said, when you establish your kingdom, Jesus, mommy says, I'd like one of my boys to be on your right and the other one to be on your left. In other words, to hold like the second and third most powerful positions. Jesus says, you don't, you don't understand what you're asking. You have no clue what you're asking. And then we pick up the episode in, in verses, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 to 28. When the ten heard about this, when the other you know, guys heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see what Jesus is saying here? You see why this spiritual discipline, this practice of service is so vitally important to us? It redefines greatness for us. And Jesus said, let me give you some handles for redefining greatness. My kingdom is actually a right-side-up kingdom. 
You know, the, the, the Roman authorities around you, the, you know, the Greeks and the Romans around you, like it's the best looking, the wealthiest, the most powerful. You know, the, the guy with all of the connections, he's at the top. The guy who can, who can make other people do everything for him, he's the guy at the top. Jesus says, my kingdom doesn't work like that. You want to be at the top of my kingdom, then you have to learn to serve other people. Like the first will be last and the last will be first. These are these paradoxical statements about the kingdom of God that Jesus continually makes. No wonder people didn't get it. See, what he's trying to drive at is if you don't know how to manage power through the grace of humility, then you're going to get my kingdom all messed up. You're not going to understand my kingdom. The spiritual practice of service causes us to rethink greatness in this right-side-up kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Well, my third thing that I see in this passage that's helpful for me, anyways, is the spiritual practice of service helps me handle power without corrupting my soul. When we practice the spiritual discipline of service, you know, we give, the right, we give up the right to be in charge, to be in control. Like, we, we, we learn what it means to be people who are humble ourselves. And in this, there's great freedom, and there's great reward. Again, verses 3 to 5, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So Jesus knows at this particular time what? Jesus knows and fully understands that he is the most powerful person in the room. But Jesus also knows and fully understands that he is the most powerful person in the city of Jerusalem at that particular time. No matter what title, no matter what authority people think they have. But Jesus also understands and knows full well that at that particular time, he is the most powerful person in the world, in the universe, in all of creation. So what does he do in response to understanding that he is the most powerful person in the room? He picks up the basin, puts on a towel, and he serves those who are around about him. Verses 12 and 12 to 15. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returns to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The reason that Jesus does this is so that his followers then and now, that we would get it. He wants us to see that when you know that you're the most powerful person in the room, that the way you make sure that it doesn't go to your head, the way you make sure that it eventually does not corrupt your soul, is to choose the grace of humility through the practice of self-abasing service. Verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So if Jesus is our model... Then he has given us this example so that we'll practice something that'll help us with humility because we all struggle with humility. You see, I'm convinced. I've been around a while. I've heard it over and over again, and I'm convinced that many people sit around and they pray for humility, but they never do anything about it. At some point in time, you have to pick up a basin and a towel. At some point in time, you have to kneel at the feet of those that you think should be kneeling at your feet. At some point in time, you have to get your hands dirty in the service of other people. See, the reality is everybody in this room has power. 
Everybody in this room has power. But we desperately need to grow in humility so we can handle what's been entrusted to us and not corrupt our own souls. So this spiritual practice of service Like, what does it practically then mean for us? Well, let me borrow a couple of things from Richard Foster, the guy who's written a lot on this. There are just some really practical uh, things that you might be able to work on. He says the spiritual discipline, the spiritual practice of service is worked out in small things. In Acts chapter 9, he references someone called Dorcas. It's a great name. Um, And she, she was known by the whole community... Uh, to be a person who sewed clothing for widows and orphans. Spiritual practice of service. She likely had the gift, spiritual gift of mercy, but spiritual practice of service. There's so much that you and I can do that are small things. You see, we always think ministry has to be big. It's got to be this big. No. Spiritual discipline of service helps us to focus on some of the small things that you and I can do, and there are a myriad of small things. What about hospitality? The lost practice of opening our homes to each other and to strangers. So interesting, my son Sam, my youngest son Sam, is going to Chicago to school uh, in the middle of August, and so we got to take him down, hang out with him for two or three days, which is going to be fun and stuff like that. You know how much hotels are in Chicago? And I'm like, why are there so many hotels? Well, in part because there's so few people opening their homes. Like, especially among the Christian community. It's just something for us to think about. And you don't have to have it all together. Like, you don't have to have a roast beef dinner to invite somebody over from church or something like that. Like, hot dogs and hamburgers will be just fine. Like, if they're vegan or something like that, give them some cardboard. I, whatever. I don't, you know. It doesn't work for me. I'm a, I'm a carnivore, so make sure there's meat if I'm coming. Okay? But the veggies. Like, I hate killing defenseless vegetables. Okay, anyways, that's a whole other deal. That's a whole other deal. But hospitality, we really, we need to practice hospitality. Like, I'm sorry if I offended any vegans, really. I really shoot the dog. Can you edit that out? When the, when, anyways. Um, the other ones is bearing others' burdens. The spiritual practice of service. Do you know there are more than 30 examples in the, in the scriptures alone that are one another passages? Carry one another's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You know, love one another. Um, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Forgive one another. Admonish one another. Teach one another. Like, there's all these one another's. And when we practice that, when we do that, we're actually beginning to practice this spiritual discipline called service. Remember, if you're going to remember anything from this morning on this spiritual uh, discipline... That the goal of this whole thing is to work out humility in me and in you. That is the key to the spiritual practice. So Jesus, you know, continue to have your way with us and among us. Thank you that you give us, you know, such a, an amazing example of what it means to, to serve other people. You know, thank you that, um, that you don't leave us to kind of work this stuff out on our own but that you're just constantly there for us. So, Lord, help me, like really help me and help us to work out this spiritual discipline in our lives for your glory. Amen.